0: this is the breakfast wrap with john moore
1: Good morning, it's John Moore. This is the Breakfast Wrap for this Monday, November 21st. Weather forecast for today, we start with a mix of sun and cloud, and then it looks like a cloudy afternoon. A little on the windy side, the high plus five degrees. Here are the five things you need to know. Number one, education workers and the government have reached a deal. School is in session today. Number two, the inquiry into the use of the Emergencies Act reaches the big wind-up. Number three, the world's focus turns to Qatar and soccer. Number four, Elizabeth May returns to lead the federal Green Party. And number five, the Argonauts clinching the Grey Cup.
0: The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore.
1: Happy Monday. Happier still for all kinds of reasons. One of them, no strike. So I realize... Actually, you know, I was going to say most kids don't want to hear that school's in session today. But I ha- I, I actually think most kids would prefer to be in school, especially after the last two and, and a half insane years of COVID and all of that kind of stuff. That most kids would rather be in school. I know we used to always get excited on, a, you know, a day where there was some snow in the forecast. And we'd get up in the morning and lean in toward the radio and listen and please, please, please tell us there's no school today. But I think most kids are probably pretty happy that the strike has been averted. I know that parents are probably happy. Ontarians are happy. Government has to be happy. Uh, here is uh, Stephen Lecce, who made the announcement yesterday afternoon, and you may have heard that on News Talk 1010, that after an intense weekend of negotiations, they had made a deal.
2: As we just have uh, inked uh, tentative agreement, we need to, of course, respect the a process of ratification. What I can confirm to the people of this province is that we brought forth a deal that every party leaves the table with something that they wanted to advance. And the biggest beneficiary of this tentative agreement are our kids and our families who are gonna be in school. So that
1: you know takes a lot of the pressure out of the system. And I guess it's very, very good news for the education minister, although now they've gotta move on to the next unions. Um, intriguingly. And you know what? I don't want to frame this thing as something where who won, who lost. I don't care. You know who wins? Kids, teachers, educators, everybody wins because we are not going on strike. But Laura Walton, who heads up the unit that represents 55,000 workers, says she doesn't like the deal, but she's going to recommend it anyway.
0: As a mom, I don't like this deal. As a worker, I don't like this deal. As the president of the OSBCU, I understand why this is the deal that's on the table. Um, I think it falls short. I think it's terrible that we live in a world that doesn't see the need to provide services to kids that they need. But we will always put workers first. We will always put our students first. And that's why there will not be a strike. That's why we're taking it to the workers. And that's why we hope to have it completed, the ratification vote completed by Sunday, um, a week today.
1: Okay, and I guess that would suggest that maybe the union gave into a deal that it didn't particularly like that uh, means, I guess, if you really do want to run this like a football game, that the government won the day. But also, if you, you know, sort of take a look at all of the many stations of the cross in this particular drama, you have uh, the government not being all that serious about negotiations, The union making its uh, series of demands, the government sweetening the offer, the union finally saying, you know what, we're going to walk out. Um, So they did. Surveys showed that the public was basically supporting the workers. Then the government climbs down and then everybody goes back to work and they resume negotiations. My own read on things was that the union was a bit diminished once it agreed. I mean, you know, the government bent over and said, here's, you know, we're gonna back down for now and please get back to work. And so the union did, but I also felt that in so doing that the union was somewhat weakened, that going out on strike again would not be well received. So I guess, you know, on Grey Cup weekend, we can take a look at this as a football game where the ball was moving back and forth and uh, both teams were surrendering some territory And ultimately, I think the union had to settle for what it settled for. And let's keep moving. I mean, the best part of all of this is kids are in school today. They'll be in school until we get to the Christmas break and the government moves on to fight another day where it comes to the teachers. One of the observations I've had in all of this is that I think the very first union to the table was the one with the best case. Now, you know, what are teachers going to be asking for? What is government on the hook for? We'll see when we get there. Um, And then to come back to the whole issue of not the whole issue, but I mean, I've been using football metaphors, even though I'm not a much of a football guy. Um, But we won the Grey Cup. The uh, Toronto Argonauts won the Grey Cup. I wonder if Pinball Clemens has had a moment of, uh, of sleep or rest since that. Have we put in a call to pinball? Even Are we going to wake him up in his hotel room? I mean, Joe? I don't
0: have his number, but I can try to get to I his got people. His
1: I'll, I'll give you my cell phone. You can call him. Oh, hey now. Yeah. Because um, that's great news. And frankly, I already confessed. I'm not a football guy, but let's face it. Anything, any title that a Toronto franchise wins, that's great news. And so the Toronto Argonauts are the Grey Cup champions. They uh, had a fantastic night in Regina. I have no special insight aside from the fact that I always want to giggle when I say Regina. Um, Well, we have uh, some audio of the last touchdown if you're interested. All right, let's listen in. That's it? All right. Wow. Okay, well, there's the touchdown. Anyway, we won. So stamp it, lock it, black magic. Uh, meanwhile, if we – now that we're burying the labor dispute that we had with the education workers, we're going to move on to what lies ahead this week. And one of the things that lies ahead would be that it's kind of the windup for the inquiry into the declaration of the Emergencies Act. And Justin Trudeau is expected to be on the stand this week. As a matter of fact, seven cabinet ministers will be appearing this week before the inquiry. And this kind of is the big deal, right? Because they've already heard from all kinds of police forces. They've heard from people who were part of the protests. They've heard from people who were perturbed by the protests. Now we get to having drawn whatever conclusion we have already to date about whether or not the cabinet and the prime minister were were within their rights and not even within their rights. It's actually more about whether or not they had been offered enough evidence that they needed the emergency act with all of that. Now, Justin Trudeau is going to be on the stand and he's going to have to say, here's what I knew. Here's why I did what I did. Um, it's going to be interesting to hear him under questioning because people who represent the convoy protesters will actually get to offer their own uh, questions. But we have Intergovernmental Affairs Minister Dominic LeBlanc will be on the stand. Emergency Preparedness Minister Bill Blair will be on the stand. His testimony possibly informed by the fact that he completely bobbled the uh, G20. Uh, Defense Minister Anita Anand. Omar Agabra is the transport minister. Christia Freeland, finance minister and deputy prime minister. And then the whole thing winds up with Justin Trudeau. So if you've been following this whole thing as some sort of an afternoon soap opera, all the big stars are coming to play.
2: Time now to say good morning to John Moore, News Talk Radio 1010. See what's on his mind to start this week. Good morning, John. Good morning, George.
1: Happy Monday. Happy Monday. So strike averted. School's open. Schools open, uh, kids are in class. I know that this is probably not what a lot of kids wanted to wake up to, but then I actually have to think that most kids are probably, after the last two and a half years of insanity, are probably happier to be in class than to be facing a strike day. Uh, We don't know all the details yet. The union boss actually says that she's not particularly happy with the deal, but the education minister triumphantly saying yesterday that the deal had been reached, it'll be ratified probably within a week, and then it's on to the next union.
2: Right, and those are still on the table. Um, so, some political drama mm-hmm. is coming to uh, Parliament Hill. Trudeau and a number of ministers will be testifying at the emergencies. Act
1: inquiry this week. We're reaching the wind up here. You're absolutely right. Having heard testimony from police forces, from all kinds of other stakeholders, now it's down to cabinet ministers and the prime minister himself. So we're going to be hearing this week from Bill Blair, the emergency preparedness minister, Dominic LeBlanc, Anita Anand, the defense minister, transportation minister, uh, Omar Agabra, Christia Freeland, deputy prime minister, and in the big wind up, uh, which will be fairly dramatic stuff, I imagine, Justin Trudeau, the prime minister will be uh, offering his explanation for why they ultimately decided to declare the act.
2: And still with federal politics, it's May days again for the Green Party.
1: Yeah, it's deja vu all over <laughs> again, as they used to say. Elizabeth May is the new old leader of the Green Party. I try to be as um, uh, charitable as I possibly can, George, because I just don't believe that this party is particularly significant, and the fact that a former leader who was unable to win in the past is back again with a co-leader, I might add, named Jonathan Pedno. uh, I just, I I don't quite know what to make of it. I think Elizabeth May is a fine person, but I just don't see the purpose in all of this, but there she is. She's the new leader of the Green Party again. We
2: will let it play out a little. Um, So this meteor over on Ontario really startled some folks with uh, some uh, light and sound show.
1: This was some dramatic stuff. It actually happened. You guys have been showing the footage through the weekend at around 3.30 a.m. Saturday morning, but it's a meteorite that entered into the Earth's atmosphere and created quite the spectacular show. I mean, really, it, uh, most of us never get to see something like this. So to uh, continue to review the footage, I find absolutely fascinating. And... Uh, Nothing more to say about that, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great show.
2: It is quite, uh, quite something, yeah. It was quite a thing to see to the threads of emails on, on that in our, in, in our inbox. Yeah. And finally, hey, the Argos have won their 18th Grey Cup in really dramatic
1: fashion. This is the first time the Argonauts win the Grey Cup since 2017, but it's great to see a Toronto franchise win a championship. They celebrated a 24-23 victory over the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and the Blue Bombers were actually favored to win. So it's uh, great news for Torontonians on a Monday morning.
2: Mm -hmm. And we've learned that on Thursday they're going to have a big uh, championship rally down at Maple Leaf Square ahead of the the parade as well. So that's good news for fans. Hey, John, thanks very much. Have a great day and a great show.
1: That is our friend George Legogiannis over at CP24. And I have to say, when it comes to football and the Grey Cup, I don't necessarily have as much of a pulse on the city. Like, I don't know if everybody wakes up this morning and the first thought they have is, hey, we won the Grey Cup. But Still, it's uh, nice to have a winning franchise. And now the world's focus turns to soccer. Lots to certainly crunch on when it comes to FIFA and Qatar. And one of the thoughts I had this morning in getting ready for the show was, you know, we often look at something like hosting the World Cup, which Canada, U.S. and Mexico will do. Um, in, in the next iteration or the next round. But, you know, here in Toronto, we talk about should we be bidding on an expo? Should we bid on the Olympics? Were the Pan Am Games worth it to us? Okay, so here's my question to you. How much more likely are you to go to Qatar or to do business with Qatar or to greet a Qatari person on the street and say, your country is fantastic? I... I am not convinced that these international events are of any help whatsoever. I think in many ways, we're very old fashioned because in 1967, the world really did come to Montreal. I remember that because, um, you know, everybody came to stay at our house and, you know, Montreal and Canada were completely on the world's radar. But as things have expanded and global travel has become that much more easy And it's not that exotic to jump on a plane and go to London, England, or whatever. I just, I don't know that this really amounts to much. And frankly, when it comes to Qatar, the FIFA chief giving a press conference where he said the following, Today I feel Qatari. Today I feel Arab. Today I feel African. Today I feel gay. Today I feel disabled. Today I feel like a vagrant. Today I feel like a migrant worker. And then somebody said what about women and he said i i feel like a woman this is an unfortunate country with uh retrograde attitudes toward pretty well everything and i have to imagine that you know they won the games in 2000 or this tournament in 2010 and the world i think has come to regret that but now let's get to soccer you're
0: listening, you're listening. to the breakfast Rap with john moore
1: Welcome to your Monday. 537 is the time, minus 5 degrees. And yeah, there was definitely a winter bite in, in the air this weekend, wasn't there? I actually, um, I, I had, you're familiar with him probably if you're a regular listener. Uh, Bruce Myers used to be a broadcaster. He was a news anchor and has always been a good friend. And then he went off to become a priest and then he got promoted to bishop. But he was in town this weekend. And so we were out bright and early on Sunday morning. The sunshine was out, but the air was bitter and cold. And uh, off we went to Christchurch uh, in the neighborhood, which is like young in Saint and St. Clair. And so, yeah, I've, I used to go to church every single weekend. And then I got to the point where I would only go if I was taking my parents to church. And I haven't been in a church since the last funeral or wedding that I attended, but I'm freshly blessed. And um, it was kind of fun. And what was also vaguely amusing, I guess, I mean, you know, church, I guess it depends on which one that you go to, but the services we went to, which are kind of a down and dirty, get it out of the way early in the morning affair, uh, there were only 13 parishioners there. But the minister, I guess, had no idea that there was actually a bishop in the house, and he didn't bother to identify himself. So um, she, I don't know, it's kind of like uh, Undercover Boss, is it called, uh, Nick Marano, where the, like the guy who runs GM turns up at a dealership and, and you know, doesn't tell anybody he runs the company. Was Bruce taking notes feverishly as uh, the service went on? No, but it was actually very funny that he knows the Book of Common Prayer off by heart. And he kept on handing me the book and and leafing it out to various pages so that I could keep up with the program. There is something strange, I guess, in having become an agnostic in going to worship anyway and still knowing how the whole thing works. But let's keep moving. Let's get back to the events of the day. As I mentioned, the only reason we went into that deviation was because I was talking about the fact that it's a little cold at this hour. It's minus five degrees, and the wind chill at this hour is minus 11. And the big news would be, as you would have heard right here on News Talk 1010, yesterday afternoon, we received some notification that the education minister was going to be making an announcement. And of course, it was going to be, right, um, a one or a zero, yes or no. Uh, are we? Do we have a deal? Are we going to school on Monday or not? And as it turns out, they have reached a deal. Now, I know it, it could end up being submitted to the workers and the workers could end up saying no. My own read on the situation would be I think the workers are more interested in getting back to work and working with the kids that Maybe they're not going to be entirely happy, but that this is not some sort of an existential labor crisis where it was do or die. We had to have this deal or nothing. So I would suspect that the union will end up endorsing the deal. In spite of the fact that Laura Walton, who is the uh, head of this particular union division, says she doesn't like it, but she still is going to recommend workers accept the deal. And everybody's back in school this morning.
0: Workers will be in schools and there will not be a strike. From the outset, workers have been the center of this movement. The central bargaining team has taken our lead from workers. We have done our absolute best to represent workers' needs and interests. And we have built worker capacity to organize and fight for what is just and for what is needed.
1: Was she on Jeopardy or something? Did someone like chime in? I know. It's the second time we played a clip and we have that thing. I guess what I guess she was on Zoom and so that's what the sound of somebody joining the joining meeting the conversation. or it was, reminding you of something.
0: It was going off through the entire 3
1: minutes she was speaking. <laughs> okay. Cuz actually I get that chime when I'm being reminded that I have another interview coming up. So, you know, last week I'm talking to Louise Penny and Steve Pakin announces that he's ready to join the meeting and I was getting the same chime. That was actually You know another sidebar but what the heck um it was a a funny aspect last week and sort of reminded me i guess of how life has changed so i used to do interviews and everybody and and roundtables and everybody had to be in here everybody had to be at the table and i still miss that terribly because there's something about the eye contact there's something about the people who are going to be on a roundtable all meeting in the corridor and having a yak before they come into studio and join us Um, There is definitely something to being live in studio with somebody and uh, to do an interview. However, thanks to COVID kind of forcing the whole model, we can now do interviews with anybody at any time around the world. And so last week, I'm interviewing Louise Penny because her mysteries are being turned into a TV show. And we'll talk about that this week as it arrives on its platform. Um, and the next person in line was Steve Pakin from TVO because he's written a new biography of John Turner. And I thought, you guys should meet each other, you know, because Louise Penny should probably be on Steve Pakin's The Agenda. So, you know, press a button and there they are. One's in Montreal. One's in Toronto. I'm at my home. And uh, we're all having a quick yak and introducing strangers. So all part of the things that have become completely normal thanks to – technology and the force factor of, uh, COVID and the pandemic. Okay. So, um, we have world cup of soccer, nothing major to tell you about yet, except that one of the other people I was able to meet recently on, um, on, on online was Quinn who is a gold medal winning athlete, a member of the Canadian women's soccer team. And they were able to give me a bit of a preview of what's coming up at the FIFA Cup. And one of the things you probably need to know, certainly, you know, I have no special insider knowledge. Soccer is also not one of my sports. Um, But Quinn was saying this is going to be a pretty competitive field. When it comes to the Canadian men's team, and we may be in for disappointment, even if we want to prepare for triumph.
2: Yeah, I think when you get to, you know, a major tournament, you're faced with obviously the best competition in the world. And so the men are going against top sides like Belgium, Croatia, and I think even Morocco could could prove to be a fun challenge for them because you're facing different styles of soccer, um, but all incredible competitions and so I think it is going to be quite a fun test for them. That being said, I think they're going to have the country behind them. They've had such an incredible momentum moving into this tournament that I do think that they're ready and I think that the Canadian support of them is going to just continue to push um, them to another level. There's a lot of ways that we can support them and get connected with them.
1: And yeah, and what Quinn was leading toward is that uh, some corporations have come up with these means by which if you want to, you can download some apps and you can cheer on the Canadian men's team in Qatar in real time. And one of the questions I had for Quinn was, okay, does that actually make a difference? You, know, you played in the Olympics in Tokyo, so you were a long way from home. When Canadians uh, weighed in, did that help things and quinn said yeah actually it uh, it just it kind of bolsters things it's good for morale and then one of the other things worth noting is that even if canada gets bounced knock on wood hope it doesn't happen but even if canada gets bounced People here, especially in Toronto, are going to be rooting for all kinds of different teams, right? Because people come from all over the world and live in Toronto and they may be rooting for a team from another country. And so you're going to hear all the car honking and the cheering and the flag waving and all of that stuff. It's going to be a good long uh, match. Subscribe
0: today and always hear the latest episode of The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore
1: you can tell me if you want that i'm being mean or dismissive but i just don't get the greens and whenever i say that i feel like i need to apologize to mike schreiner because i actually think he is a very fine politician and a fine political leader and maybe the greens in ontario at the provincial level will go somewhere but the federal greens i can't figure them out and it reminds me of what henry Kissinger used to say about academic politics. He always said the reason the politics in academia are so vicious is because the stakes are so meaningless. And it's, you know, the federal greens, they keep on stabbing their leaders and they keep on electing new leaders. And then you have a leader who couldn't deliver a victory, who retired, was replaced twice, if I'm not mistaken. There have been two leaders since uh, Elizabeth May, and now she's back. And not only that, but she's back as a co-leader. I don't even know how that worked, actually. Like, I, I don't think he was in contention. Maybe he was. You can fix my wagon if you want. If, if you happen to be a Green and you want to give me all the goods, you can send me a text at 7-10-10. But a uh, former human rights worker named Jonathan Pedno is the co-leader of the Green Party. How does that work? Like, if she gets re-elected as an MP... But he doesn't get elected as an MP, but he's the co-leader of the party. Um, well, I guess you can be a leader of a party and not actually have a, uh, have a seat in the House. But I just wish that the Greens would – I mean, I, I don't know what they stand for. I don't really know what meaningful difference there is between a Green Party MP And an NDP or or a liberal, I guess maybe there's some light between Green Party members and conservatives, although as they will always point out, they are, you know, it's not just about the environment and they happen to be fairly conservative when it comes to economics and finance. But I just... I I don't know what they're about and what they're up to and how you can be a former leader who comes back as as the new leader. It just it makes absolutely no sense to me. Same
2: as the
1: old boss. Or as I used to always say, Nick Merano, um, but this is more when governments change. New, meet the new ratbag administration, same as the old ratbag administration. And especially when you consider how this province is run, there's almost no noticeable difference between the previous government's finances and this government's finances. Although one thing is noticeably different, and that's in the news today. Um, Actually, there's two stories in the news today that I don't know that the liberals ever would have done this under Kathleen Wynne or Dalton McGuinty. One of them would be that we have a legal challenge on behalf of elderly people who are being moved out of hospital beds into long-term care homes, not of their choosing. This is the law that the uh, Ford administration brought in, in the summer, no committee hearings. They rushed the whole thing through. And the idea is that if you're in a hospital bed, but you're really well enough to be discharged from the hospital and sent to long-term care, you can be sent to a place that is. I mean, you're you're supposed to come up with a choice, I think, of five places you would like to go to. And almost always, I have to imagine that somebody would name five places that are close to their partner or close to their children or in the neighborhood that they have always been in and love. And the government came up with this idea that you could actually, if there's an open bed a certain distance away, there's a certain margin that was established, but you could be sent there even if you didn't want to. And one of the things we learned in all of this was that it's not like you get sent to the home you didn't want, and then they wait, and the one that you did want becomes available, and they're going to send you there. Basically, you're screwed. The, the place that you are sent to is probably the place that you will reside in for the rest of your life. So that is uh, one thing that uh, I have to think the, uh, the conservatives did that the liberals might not have done. And then the other would be this reopening of the Greenbelt. Although, yes, somebody can easily correct me and say, you know, Dalton McGinty opened parts of the Greenbelt. Yeah, but not like this. I mean, this is basically, hey, developers, what would you like? Here you go. And some former mayors of Toronto have penned a letter to uh, John Tory urging him to reject strong mayor powers. And that is in reference to the fact that the province created these strong mayor powers so that the mayor could override council on behalf of the province. Mostly it's about housing. And Art Eggleton has signed this. John Sewell has signed this. John was on with us last week talking about the fact that he was kicked out of Queen's Park. Uh, David Crombie has also Uh, side this along with Barbara Hall. Um, David Miller, as a matter of fact, is also on the letter. I find this file to be interesting, and we'll definitely talk about it on the round table this morning at 7.45 and 8.45, but it's like you've been granted the power to you know, visualize people naked if you want, but you don't have to if you don't want to, but you're going to, aren't you? That is The Breakfast Wrap. Thanks for listening. My name is John Moore. I hope we'll talk again soon.
0: You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from five to nine on News Talk 1010.